Get ready to send your pitchforks because I have a scandalous claim to make. The Conjuring series has the most Christian worldview of any modern movie. Welcome to Kingdom of the Lagos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I'm Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Jay Dylan Proctor. And I'm Anthony Allegri. Today we're going to be talking about art, truth, and the movie series The Conjuring. Alright, now let me start with this monologue. I want to talk about art and truth a little bit, and then I'm going to go back into The Conjuring. That'll give you some time. You can go and light your fires and get your pitchforks ready to come after us. But let me start with this question. How important is truth to you? How important is art to you? What is the relationship between truth and art? The older I get, the more I realize that truth is not something which originates in ourselves, but it really does come from something outside of ourselves. It is derived from something greater than we are. Art, and I truly believe this, art is an interpretation of the truth. And I want us to examine a quote from G.K. Chesterton, or really more of a sentiment. G.K. Chesterton is a great theologian from the 20th century. He's got some wonderful books. Most of them you can get for free. And Chesterton, he writes that the one who wills to reject nothing actually wills to reject will itself. And what he's saying is the ones who want to reject nothing in this world, they want to say everything goes, well, they're actually rejecting truth and the very notion of will. You see, in the church, we believe that truth is transcendental. Truth has an overarching power that goes beyond any human fallibility. Truth is not dependent on our approval because it does not originate from inside ourselves. Although we should be willing to embrace truth and have it come to reside within us. Many in our world seek to deny the notion that truth originates outside of their own particular person. And in an attempt to validate the personal truth of every individual or even every collective body, they are actually rejecting the very notion of truth itself. What many secularists and anti-theists get wrong about the church is that the church and her holy truth is not a mere narrative that we can tell and shape as we see fit. It is not a collection of stories for us to write and edit to our own personal disposition. For in all actuality, we as Christians, as members of Christ's wonderful church, we have no claim to neither the origin of the church nor the design of the church. The church, it is an institution designed by God through Jesus Christ, and by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, we are allowed to participate in it. Truth, likewise, truth is not derived from deep within ourselves, but instead it is derived from something greater than ourselves. Truth does not care if we embrace it or not, because its existence does not depend on our approval. Truth, it is reliable, it is real, and it is beyond our individual experiences in the world. And as I look around the world and I contemplate reality and its relationship to truth, I have come to this conclusion. Art is nothing more than the task of interpreting truth. Hence why I think it's important for us to emphasize the difference between fictional and non-fictional art. If we gaze upon a sculpture, it may be fiction or it may be non-fiction. All that matters is whether or not the sculptor, the one making the sculpture, is depicting a truth of reality or if they are instead choosing to depict something from fantasy. Art is the interpretation of truth and beauty is the proximity to truth. We have so many words in our world that people want to say you can't define. They say you can't define beauty, you can't define love, you can't define good. All of that's a bunch of hogwash. It's a bunch of trash from people who have no interest in defining such things because it may call them out for their own flaws. Beauty is the proximity to truth. The closer something is to a truth in reality, the more beautiful it is. And I hope you've got your pitchforks ready because now we're going to have an example of really good art and something that is beautiful 
not necessarily because of its aesthetic pleasure, though some may find it stimulating, but because it is really close to a very important truth. And I hope those pitchforks are nice and hot to come after me because my proposal for you is this. The Conjuring series, which is a series of horror movies in the modern world, they are a wonderful example of the Christian worldview. And now you might come at me and say, Preacher, how is that possible? Well, let me, let me tell you a few things. Let me make my case here. There's an overarching theme throughout the Conjuring series. And the best place that this is found is in The Conjuring 1, Annabelle Creation, and The Conjuring 2. I haven't seen The Nun, though it's out there yet, and it's the fifth installment in this series. But we're not talking about The Nun today. But there's a theme that is found within this. And here's the theme. Some evil is out there trying to infect and destroy the nuclear family, and the antidote is faith. Let me say that again, and I'm going to pitch this over to Amanda and let her have her thoughts before we start examining these movies. But there is some evil. Some evil is trying to destroy the nuclear family, but the antidote to this evil is faith. Amanda? And so I think this is what makes the claim, um, your claim, very radical, but also makes a lot of sense. When we watch sometimes quote-unquote Christian movies, they're, they're so caught up in trying to proclaim some kind of message or ideal that they forget that the foundation uh, should already be there. And that's what we kind of see in this series. And it is so simple. There's evil in this world, and there has to be something to defeat it. Uh, but we don't have to conceive or create or try to figure out a clever way to make that 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 good that will defeat the evil. It it already exists and it exists um, in in faith in in the transcendental uh, truth. And so that's what um, as I've only seen the first movie, but just in gl glimpsing the series and understanding, you really do come to a very similar conclusion. And, and why you can see this in lots of movies, but it is done so well. Um, in this particular one, because a lot of movies are based on good versus evil. But that good is often defined within one person or one ideology versus this is really something a little bit more, um, well, bigger. <laughs> yeah, it's an overarching theme. And let me provide you some evidence with this. I want us to look at this clip, and in this clip you'll see the evil is clearly attaching itself to the family. I saw first when I came through your door, it was latched to your back. And then I saw it again with the girls when we walked into the living room. And it doesn't matter where you go, this dark entity has latched itself to your family and it's feeding off you. Um, Amanda, what do you think about this? Well, I think something that w w was interesting about the clip is that um, it attaches, right? And so. Um, the protagonists are like, you can't just pick up and move. Like, there, you have to face this evil. And so it sets itself up not only for um, kind of the climax of the story, but really this understanding that we can't just ignore it and we can't deal with it artificially. Um, but yes, the, the focus is the family. So even if you try to move or try to do something else, unless you're willing to face that evil as a family, it, it's never going to go away. Yeah, and to Amanda's point, if the family is passive, they fall. If the family says, well, we're just going to embrace the evil, well then of course they're going to fall really quickly. If they're complacent or they, they don't address the evil head on, they will fall. Obviously, the whole reason why it would be scandalous at all to say that a scary movie has Christian uh, assumptions and a Christian worldview is just because of generally how scary movies are. But I will say how this one really is different than the rest, or many others anyways, is that 
there is a solution to evil in the end. It's not like a scary movie where, uh, you know, the evil latches onto the family and then all the family members end up killed. Yeah, you know? it's scary for the sake of being scary without yes. a plot. <laughs> yes, it's it's not just scary for the sake of being scary. It is scary showing us that there is something in the world and then it also shows us the solution, which is really awesome. Yeah, and, and to that point, again, this movie, it really does stand out because it has a phenomenal storyline to it. The The overall message is, is good, not just within the story, but something that actually can be applied externally. It kind of has a fairy tale element to where there's a truth about it that's within the movie, but it's also transcendental. There are things in life which want to come and attack our family. Evil likes to destroy the family. It wants to come in and, and separate the family from one another, and that is, is how societies fall. And when we see all of this happening, the family must do something. With that which is coming for it, it has to come to terms. It has to be honest about the situation. It has to confront it. Well, let's go ahead and look at movie clip number two. Have your children been baptized? Uh, no, we never got around to that. We're not really a church-going family. Well, you may want to rethink that. The society as a whole has come to a place where it says, well, we're not really the church-going type. But if we want to actually deal with evil in the world. If we don't want to let it consume us, well, maybe society is going to have to rethink that. Because <laughs> um, definitely within this family, if they actually want to be rid of this evil, which has attached themselves to it, they're going to have to rethink their their relationship with God. They've got to rethink that. Amanda, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and so um, as I was watching, you know, often when we watch movies, especially um, uh, secular movies, really even Christian movies, they don't always paint the church in, in a very good light. Um, and we can look at things and say that the, at times the church has failed or, or certain people in leadership have, have failed to do what they've been called to do. Um, but what this really looks at is saying, okay, there, there, there is something that can fix this evil, um, and it is faith, but the people who are being affected by evil have to accept this faith. Um, they, can't, they can't just merely call in um, basically the Ghostbusters to come and, and zap it away. There has to be this connection to, to faith, and they have to accept it, and they have to make that personal decision. And that's really what baptism is. It, it's a, both an individual decision, but also something that proclaims that you are a part of a bigger community. Um, and, and so this idea of calling this family to be baptized and to be a part of the church is really to say, hey, this decision has to be yours, but you have to kind of be on the, the good side if you're going to defeat this evil. Yeah, you yourself have to reborn, be reborn if you want to defeat this. And that's another thing that's going to come up, and we're going to look at a, a few more clips in this. But another theme in the movie is that there are pastors and priests and things involved, but ultimately it's the lay people and the family themselves who are going to have to confront this. You can't just shirk the responsibility off to someone else. You can't just pass it off. Anthony. Something else that's really interesting about um, him asking whether or not they've been baptized he doesn't ask whether or not they're Christian. And the way he responds, he doesn't say that they're not Christians. The way he responds is, we're not exactly a church-going family. And whenever you think about um, baptism and even like its controversial issues within various denominations, most every Christian can come down to and agree to the fact that Christ did ask that Christians be baptized. And so whenever you consider that, he's asking, have you done what Christ asked you to do? He doesn't ask, do you believe in Christ? He doesn't ask, you know, are you a believer or anything like that? He's asking, have you done what Christ asked you to do? Because, and then, you know, obviously the intent of the question is because there's an evil that's coming for you right now. Yeah. 
And if you're not doing what Christ asks you to do, then the evil has a much better chance of winning. Anthony actually used a little bit more of a, a passive language than I would. I, I think it's more than just asks you to do it. Christ commands, commands people to do it. It's, it's a commandment. It's not something like I come and ask you nicely, will you, will you go buy me a box of, of you know, cookies? It's, it's, this is something you, you need to do. This is a commandment. Didn't want to step on anybody's toes? Oh, no, it's fine. We, we're, uh, we're, doing a, a, we're making a statement that, that The Conjuring is the most um, Christian of, of modern films. The, the pitchforks are coming. I mean, we've, it's, it's just a matter of time now. Um, <laughs> all right, well, uh, let's go ahead and go to this next clip. Our presence here can make things worse. Why? Because we're a threat. And whatever you're dealing with... The evil clearly recognizes that faith, particularly Christian faith, is, is something which is a threat to it. It, it has to eradicate any, any small amount of faith if it is going to be successful in its plan. And I really want us to think about this because in the end, this is going to ultimately be a battle for a soul. It's much more than just a, a whole little nice, cute and fuzzy tale of good versus evil. This is a battle for the soul. And it's a battle for the soul of this family. And I would even go so far to say this is a battle for society as a whole. Because the nuclear family really is the smallest viable form of a society. In fact, it's the, the smallest form of, of people coming together sort of an aggregation where they can work and operate with one another and have a real amount of love for one another. The, the most powerful force on earth is the ability for God-fearing people to come together with their family and raise up the next generation and teach them the, the proper things they need to do. In fact, as we look at society as a whole, and we even look at modern criminology and people who have studied things like forensic psychology, people like Terry Moffat, you will find that the largest risk factor for people becoming lifelong criminal, people having things that make them antisocial for life, that aren't neurological factors, the biggest thing is them not being raised in the nuclear family setting. Again, you can play with that formula a little bit. Grandparents and uncles, you can have a parent die and a, a step-parent come in that actually loves the kids. But when things are broken apart and the kids aren't in that loving nuclear family setup, it sets them up for a trajectory of, of failure. It can even have negative effects on their cognitive development. The nuclear family is very important. And the story of this movie is that something is out there trying to attack the nuclear family and faith is the antidote. Amanda? Yeah, and so I think what, what is fantastic about this is immediately, um, and I can never remember the main characters' names, but the, the two. The Warrens? The Warrens. Ed and Lorraine Warren. Lorraine immediately recognizes evil, and evil immediately recognizes her, and this is where then it leads to as they're leaving the house, that um, things are going to get worse because evil has recognized something has come in, and, and evil and good cannot reside in the same place. Um, and so something's something has to give. And so they're, they're establishing Lorraine and, and her husband are establishing the fact that they're going to come in and they're going to fight this evil. Um, because, but the evil is going to try to fight back as well. Cause that's all, I mean, really, if we're going to look at what evil is and as pastor Dylan was talking about the destruction of families and how that leads to more brokenness, but that's what evil is, is broken relationship. Um, and we can kind of just track everything to broken relationship. It is where selfishness, extreme selfishness and hatred just comes in and, and just wants to tear things apart. And the only remedy to that is this faith, this love. And it's more than a feeling. It's more than an emotion. It is something quite compelling and transcendental. Um, but when those things clash, I think evil recognizes good if it's truly good. And so it, it's going to uh, cause a more conflict until that healing comes in. 
All right, and we're gonna go to the next clip now. Understand this? We are now fighting for her soul. In the name of Jesus Christ, the saints and all the angels, I command you to reveal yourself. Faith is the antidote to this evil. And on top of that, and you will find this when you watch the movie, and we, we just have a few clips from it, but not only does, does Ed Warren come and say he cast out the demon in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but also you'll see Lorraine, which again, the, the compliment that these two give to one another is just perfect. These, these two actors were made for this role, um, which of course Ed and Lorraine Warren were are real people. But after he casts the demon out and calls it for what it is, Lorraine comes in and follows that up with what you're leaving behind. What is your, your family? This is a battle for your soul. This is about your family. Remember your family. You have something that is real. Because again, the faithful understand the value of the family. And you see Ed come in and start this process of, of calling it out for what it is. And then Lorraine follows up and she says, this is, this is what is at stake here. Your family is what's at stake. Your soul is what's at stake. You must be willing to save that. You must care about it. But before we go into The Conjuring 2 and Annabelle Creation, we're going to try to go those. I don't want us to, to take too long and, and bore everyone to death because I think these <laughs> are fantastic. But Amanda, I know you had brought up this idea about baptism, and it's really got my mind going about the fact that while there are, there, there are opportunities within this movie for you know the priest to come in and do this, but it's ultimately these lay people <laughs> and even these non-church-going people are going to have to deal with this. Um, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, I think this is, especially after this clip and what you're bringing up, I think this is a good opportunity also to to, to say that we in no way um, condone a simple or easy view of um, spiritual warfare or that we should, like, all just go out and do exorcisms. Um, so, and I think it's important to note that Ed and Lorraine, Ed and Lorraine are sent and trained by the church. So even though they are lay people, they're not just some Joe Schmo off the street. They they have done their studies. They understand who they are and whose they are. Um, and, and so, yeah, and I think that's an important clarification because, um, listen, if, if someone you know is dealing with some very bad things, do not tie them to a chair and try to perform an exorcism. I just yeah. feel like that needs to be said in case um, anyone gets some weird ideas. It's, and we're not saying, like, go and do exorcisms. There's lots of different things. Um, that can be happening in people's lives. But what we see in the story is, yeah, people who have made the personal decision to be in righteousness, which is right relatedness, they have chosen to to understand and live lives differently than the rest of the world. And so when evil comes in and tries to create more brokenness, they can stand up against it. And then the the you see in the clip, we also show him where the husband's getting scared because it's getting terrifying. He wants it to stop. And he is now faced with a choice. He can either stop and go the easier route and just let this evil destroy them, or he can make the choice to stand firm. And, and the wife has to make this choice. And of course, Ed and Lorraine have made this choice. And it really comes from these individual people who have decided to commit themselves um, to faithfulness and to find healing. And so, yeah, there's there's that that choice that they're making. And, and, and like you were mentioning either, like we can't 
the, the church kind of is very slow in its bureaucratic way and it never gets a response. And actually the movie kind of concludes um, with them finally getting the church's permission to perform the exorcism. And so sometimes like we, we, if we wait on powers and structures, whatever those powers or structures may be to fulfill or to fix our problems, we're going to find that they, they are going to always kind of come a little late. But um, at the same time, that doesn't mean we devoid ourselves of those structures, but we have to make sure that we understand uh, what they're there for, and then we have to make those choices to do um, good in the world. Absolutely. And really, when I watch these movies, when you first watch it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, spiritual warfare. I really don't even think about spiritual warfare at all in terms of these movies. I look at them as being an allegory for how we deal with evil in the world, particularly evil that comes after the family. Well, let's move directly into The Conjuring 2. Um, Anthony, I know we've got some pictures pulled up. Can you bring up this first picture of Valak? Do we have that? Yes. Good. Good deal. All right. So in The Conjuring 2, and this is building off what Amanda just said, how there's evil in the world and righteous people have to decide what they're going to do about it, but evil wants to come in and exploit other evil. And now this is some spoilers, and this is a bit of also a movie review on The Conjuring 2 and how it relates to this whole overarching theme of there's something after the nuclear family, and the antidote is faith. So the real villain in The Conjuring 2 is the demon named Valak. But what is so interesting about this is it takes this general story of evil is attacking the nuclear family to destroy it, and the antidote is faith, but it takes it to another level. Because in the first movie, well... The nuclear family is still together. But by The Conjuring 2, the nuclear family is broken up. Divorce has come. There's a single mother and she's got her children. And there's evil coming to exploit that. Now, this actually takes place on two tiers in the movie. Within the movie story, there is an old man that had died in the house. Sort of a not totally just death, but it was of natural causes. He had an aneurysm and he felt like he was killed early. And he's still haunting the house where he died. And this demon, Valak, is possessing the ghost of the man who died there to attack this family. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, a plot to take in, but it's really well done and really stimulating. But when you step back as a whole, you see that things in the world will come to attack other evils and other misfortunes in the world to make them worse. Take, for instance, children that live in a divorce, divorcee household. There's a lot of things will come to make their lives worse. There's a lot of things which will come to agitate that already bad situation. There are things which will naturally break up the nuclear family. There may be a, a member of that family which has died or passed away, and other forces in the world will come to exploit that to make it worse. There are other things which will come to agitate the suffering of something which has already fractured the family to make it worse. And you see that on the broader scale in this movie with the whole theme of divorce and its outcomes, and also within the movie of the man who died who is now a ghost being possessed by a demon. And again, the ultimate antidote for all of this is faith. We have a picture of the man, though. Anthony, have you got that, that photo there? Yeah, I already shown him whenever you said that Valak had him possessed. But oh, okay, here he yeah. is again. Yeah. He's nice and nasty. He is nice and nasty. Terrifying. Um, I think something, um, as we notice in these pictures, I think the first one with kind of the nun and also then with um, the, the old man, you see in the background there's an upside-down cross or upside-down crosses. And I loved how um, in the first Conjuring, Ed and Lorraine explain why. It's because they hate anything that reminds them of good. So even something as simple as a cross. And, and a lot of times in vampire movies or, or any kind of movie that deals with, with demons or ghosts, uh, they kind of just like brush past it. They're like, yeah, it just it's like a silver bullet. We don't know why it works, but it works. And in this movie, it's like, no, like there's real significance in it. It's not about just two sticks that are 
looking like a T, but it is it's a reminder of love, of righteousness, and that even in those symbols, this evil cannot uh, work. It has to turn it, it has to deform it, it has to destroy it uh, for it to succeed. Um, and yeah, a, a ghost possessed by a demon is just fantastic. It is fantastic. It's a wonderful movie. And by the way, let's talk about the religious symbolism because it does it so well. And now at the first place, again, if you're coming at this thinking it's a Hallmark movie, it ain't. <laughs> Send me your pitchforks. No. But also, you might look at this and be like, oh, well, isn't it painting the church bad? It's got a nun. It's the villain. Well, first off, the nun is actually a, a male demon named Valak. He dresses as a nun. But you find that within these movies, evil, it wants to mock the things which are its antidote. It wants to mock the faith. It wants to mock something like a nun. It wants to, to, to turn these crosses upside down to mock them. It likes to pretend that it's these things because that's ultimately its antidote. It, it surrounds itself with the things which are its antidote in hopes that it can mock them and turn people away from it. Anthony. Something else from The Conjuring 1 uh, to parallel that is the three knocks that they hear throughout the night, mm. which in the movie they explain to be making fun of the Trinity. And so, you know, that that's consistent throughout the Conjuring movies too, this impersonation or at least reference to what's good to make fun of it. And as we know, heresy is not the promotion of a vice over virtue, but it's one virtue at the expense of all the others. It's selectively choosing the symbolism and wanting to twist the symbolism, things which are good, twisting it into something not. I, I, man, this is something that definitely will get me some pitchforks. Um, I just made this connection as y'all were talking. I'm like, so does that mean evil are anti-vaccinators? Like, they mock the very thing that's supposed to bring healing and help uh, to other people. Um, so, um, and and by doing thus, it just causes more destruction and the prevalence of more disease and death uh, versus less. Yeah, well, I think that's... I'm not going to disagree with that. And if, in, if anybody wants to send pitchforks, I can take them all here. I'll, I'll take ownership for everything here. Um, we come to this, and Amanda does bring up a point like that. I think that's that's another real-world application for this of where people, they're afraid of the things, or maybe they attack the things, which are the literal antidote. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally the antidote to other things. Um, but, yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's a not a bad connection to make there. I can definitely see it. Um, but, yeah, Valak the Demon does this. But let's move on to the Annabelle creation movie, which is probably my favorite one. And it's also the only one I've seen that doesn't have Ed and Lorraine Warren in it. Again, I haven't seen The Nun. I've seen the other four. There's a total of five movies so far in this series. And all of them I've seen are fantastic, especially the three that we're talking about today. The first Annabelle movie is not as good. It, it kind of feels a bit off its pace, but the others are just fantastic. Let's talk about um, Sister Charlotte and the movie Annabelle Creation, and we'll wrap up the program with this. So again, there's this overarching theme where something is coming to attack the nuclear family and exploit that so it can destroy them, but again, the antidote is faith. And the hero of this movie is a nun named Sister Charlotte, and Anthony's got that picture pulled up there, and you see her surrounded with a bunch of girls. Um, basically, this movie follows the line of a very bad tragedy happens. A family loses their daughter. And again, you see that nuclear family broken by tragedy. Evil comes to exploit this. This family that lost their daughter, she gets run over by a car and killed. It's horrific. Um, what happens is the father has some dolls that he's made and they start seeing some spooky things in their house and they're told that this is their daughter trying to connect with them by the spooky things. There's basically some ghosts in the house and they're saying that we're your daughter. If you'll let us into this this 
doll, we want to come here. Can I, can the ghost of your daughter come live in this doll? And they allow it to do that. It pretended to be their daughter, but of course it's a demon. They had a suffering in their life and they allowed, again, these were people of faith. They allowed their faith to be let down. They allowed their moral system. They allowed their rational side to be let down because they wanted something to ease their suffering. And this happens in the real world. People have things which cause suffering in their life. And they want something to ease that suffering, and so they allow some really bad stuff in. Well, that's like the first five minutes of the movie. The rest of the movie takes place in this family's house where there's a mother and father who lost their child a long time ago. And there's a demon that lives inside a doll, and they've opened up their house to be an orphanage. They had a priest come and bless the house and bless the doll, and they locked it in like a little closet, and it's got... Bible verses all the way around it, and they think that the demon is dormant, and so they've decided to let their their home become an orphanage. And Sister Charlotte is the nun in charge of all of these little girls. So again, broken nuclear family for all the children. But the evil is back to exploit this and mock the family. There's a scene we have on this where you see the demon mocking the idea of the family, same way that Valak the demon mocks something like a nun and mocks... um, Christian leaders and things of that nature, we see the demon mock the family. So let's watch this Annabelle clip. Found you! You swore that if I found a home, you'd come too. You know what they say about breaking a swear. You go straight to hell. Janice! Forgive me. That's a great clip from Annabelle Creation. And again, the little girl that runs in there is possessed by the demon. But anyways, basically it comes in and mocks the family. These are all orphan girls. And it says, when I find a family, you said you'd come with me. Well, I found this new family with these demons. Aren't you going to come? But, of course, that's not real family. It's only pretending to be. And it comes in to mock that. And, again, it even is bringing in saying its destination is hell. It's being kind of honest about all of this, even though it's being sarcastic and mockery at the same time. But what is amazing is Sister Charlotte, who is the hero of that movie, or heroine, she comes in, and the little girl who's possessed comes running at her. She pulls the doll, which is kind of the demon's connection with the world. It's sort of its phylactery. It kind of contains the demon's... I don't know, it's kind of its chain to this world. It comes over and she has it stab its own self. And then she drops the, the rosary on it and then throws it in a closet. And again, the antidote is the response of the faith. The faithful people have to deal with the evil of the world because it's coming to attack the family. And even if the family has been long destroyed, it is still there to mock the very notion of family, to mock it, to destroy it, and to cause suffering where suffering is not warranted. It wants to drag the very notion of the family down to hell. And what is the antidote? Faith. All right. Amanda, what are your thoughts? Well, I think something you mentioned, like, all, this is an orphanage. Uh, the, the the couple that has opened up their home has lost a child. These children have uh, that are in the orphanage have obviously lost their parents. So it seems like the family is very broken. And I think what then becomes, like you said, evil's still trying to destroy it. And I think that's because even in the midst of brokenness, there is hope for reconciliation. There is hope for, for healing and for righteousness to still take place. And so even after a family has been broken, 
a new family can be created. And so evil is like, no, I don't want anything good to happen. In yep. the midst of grief, I don't want people turning towards uh, better relationships or finding healing, uh, finding connections. I need to keep them isolated. I need to keep them broken. And, and so in the midst of trying this is where then the, the heroine of the story comes in and says, no, there's going to still be healing. There's still going to be hope. Um, and I think that's just a fantastic thing because we do live in our world where so many of us come from broken families and we could kind of say, well, you know, we're already messed up. <laughs> we'll just give in to the evil. We'll join the new family as the demon wants them to and just call it a day. And instead the call is, no, you can be transformed. You can find community. You can find healing even in the midst of this, but you have to make that choice. And, um, and uh, the, the nun, as, as she kind of throws the, the, the demon into the closet, says, forgive me, because there's still this understanding that, you know, even in the darkest situations, there sh should still be this, this movement towards righteousness. And even with a demon, she, she feels such grief at the fact that this, at this point in the story, the little girl is very much lost, if I understand correctly, um, that, who was possessed by the demon, kind of the demon's taking, taking her outer shell, but even in the midst of this, there's just, there's grief that, that evil has even conquered this one person. But, you know, there, there's just this hope. And, and I think that's so, in, in a horror movie, of all genres, in a horror movie, there's so much hope in these films. Absolutely. And really you find, which these are the best films I've seen in a long time. And I'm not normally one who would ever say that about horror movies. They usually are cheap and they don't really try with the plot. These are just phenomenal. They are over the top in the, the Christian message that they give, even though they don't sit there and preach it to you. The nuclear family is still intact, even though it, evil is attacking it in the first Conjuring movie. In The Conjuring 2, the nuclear family is broken and evil is coming to agitate that. In the Annabelle creation movie, the nuclear family seems to be so far dissolved, one would say, well, why even go back to it? Why go back? But yet, all the people in that movie that are not demons are fixated on finding family, they want family, and even the demon itself is wanting family, though where the others want it for the fulfilling righteous avenues, the demon wants it to drag it down to hell. The All the kids in the orphanage, of course, they want a family. The, the people who lost their child, they want these girls in their home so they can feel like they're a family again. And even Sister Charlotte, who takes on the parental role, she is here to give them as much family possible because she realizes that the world has placed these girls in a very unfortunate situation, but yet her call from God is to to care for them, to give them as much family as possible. Anthony? Um, to your point, you said that, you know, it doesn't feel like the movie is preaching to you. And I feel like there's probably a g couple good reasons for that. Um, the movie is not... The reason why it doesn't seem like these crazy scenarios are just too outlandish to believe or even to be entertaining, why it feels so natural to watch them and why the solutions feel so natural is because they actually do pretty well capture, at least metaphorically, reality. You know, it's not like there isn't an active and an active evil in the world. You know, we all face some form of evil. And it's also true that we can also all rely on what we know to be good. And uh, in this scenario, it is definitely the Christian faith. And I think that's pretty awesome. All right. Final question. And again, thank you so much, those of you who follow and watch the stuff. If you haven't liked and followed our Facebook page and our YouTube channel, please do that. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's a hard time trying to grow YouTube, though Facebook seems to do all right. And again, check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. But a question for Amanda and Anthony. 
which I know I'm getting pitchforks from someone. Someone out there is going to be like, <laughs> no, I have drunk Diet Sprite and watched those Hallmark movies. Your horrific Conjuring movies are nothing but the devil himself. I really think they are Christ- <laughs> a wonderful Christian movie- movies, I think. Well, they're not wonderful Christian movies. They are wonderful movies that teach a Christian worldview, even though the directors may not have intended it. The secular world may not even realize it, but they, they go there, whether they do it consciously or not, they, they go there. They're, sometimes artists are able to construct art that they didn't intend. This is good art, and I think it's very beautiful art because what it is telling is something that's a really, really good truth. Um, what do y'all think, Amanda? <laughs> well, I was yeah, waiting for the question and all those statements, but I think what you're asking, yeah, does this, um, and again, going back to how we started this episode and other episodes, we've talked about beauty and art. We have to define them um, in the right context. And so if art is this interpretation of truth, then what is beautiful art is that which interprets truth truthfully, rightfully. Um, and so in that sense, yes, um, whether or not Uh, The Conjuring or all the movies in its series are perfect movies or perfect cinematography or acting or dialogue. I don't know. Um, I haven't seen them all. But whether or not there are some truths to be understood through these movies and are beautifully displayed in a compelling storyline, then yes, definitely. And so in that sense, it becomes good art. And to your point, whether or not this is the best film style, you know, that's definitely debatable because people have their different tastes. And also, doctrinally, this is not you know, somebody coming to listen to the most orthodox sermon you've ever heard where somebody uses all of the sanctification language and they just read straight out of the manual of the Church of the Nazarene and then go through all Gospels and Pauline epistles. It's not something which gets the fine intricacies of doctrine outlined, but it is something which correctly reveals the Christian worldview. Um, Anthony, what do you think? Beautiful or no? I would definitely say beautiful. If you're operating under um, this idea, which is so ancient, that beauty is that which approaches truth, I think then yes, you have hit the nail on the head by saying that this is that the movies, the Conjuring series, are a beautiful form of art. All right. And on that, how do you feel about truth? Send me your thoughts, questions, comments. And on that, God love you and have a blessed day. Thank you.